Hello everyone, and welcome to The Edge and Beyond, the series that makes sense of use cases across industries, brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things group. In this episode, we are doing a deep dive into the ever-evolving world of managed devices and cloud ecosystems. We are going to be talking about Intel's vPro AMT devices and other innovations enabled by Intel's Internet of Things group. I'm your host, Bobby Brill, and today I am joined by Brian Tusher, the Director of Consumer Customer Enablement at Intel, and we are also joined by Tok Tonker, the Chief Revenue Officer of Impero Software. Gentlemen, it is great to have you here today. It's a pleasure to be here. First up question. So, um, Tok, this idea of experience economy is really kind of what we're talking about. Um, Before we get deep into this, can you, and Brian as well, can you give me a little bit of idea of what do we mean by experience economy? Well, we're probably looking in terms of kind of the, the term omnichannel in terms of the, the consumer and the retail experience in terms of being able to sit at home in terms of uh, the luxury of your couch and have a, an opportunity to, to research uh, and and confirm availability, but also have an expectation and kind of a, an omnisense uh, presence that you are able to still go into a, a physical store and uh, seamlessly pick up and purchase in store. And most consumers in today's age are looking to have that uh, combination be flawless so they can identify, uh, research, uh, and validate a solution from the, the luxury of the couch, uh, couch uh, and still be able to kind of go into the, the physical store and pick up and, and check out in a very seamless experience. Yeah, and, and I would add to that, Toke, it, it really is a unique experience for each individual. Some consumers want to walk into the store, others want to do it all online. And really over the past few years, we've seen this change and it's not just in a a retail clothing store or something. Think of it in in terms of food and and consuming. It's really in any way people are wanting to experience these transactions in their own personal way and being able to address each of those and deliver in the way that they want to experience is becoming critical. Ah, okay. So that so that idea of us being completely seamless, the phone, the in-person, the brick and mortar is all the same. So this new customer environment, and I'm assuming it's constantly evolving in retail and as well in hospitality. How does this experience economy guide new tech and new business investment as as it refers to the IT ecosystem? So Toke, how does that focus go to the experience economy? Well, for a lot of IT departments and a lot of, uh, for instance, retailers in this day and age, they're looking to figure out how can they not only support the that omnipresent uh, channel in terms of the uh, coupling the uh, online world with that of the offline world, but also allowing it to be seamless in terms of, for instance, a checkout experience. So uh, Brian just mentioned kind of that grab and go uh, concept that we're seeing in some uh, states popping up, but it's really the opportunity for a consumer to walk into any set of store and have a seamless uh, checkout, whether that's through an iPad and a clerk coming up and offering a, a quick uh, checkout via, via a tablet, or if it's the self-service checkouts. Uh, but ultimately, what it offers and what it adds in terms of complexity for an IT ecosystem is that it's more and more devices that need to be supported and maintained. The other piece of that, you know, and Tok puts it out, there's more devices, you can create some of these features, but you can't discount the other side of that, right? The more devices there are, there's more, if you can call it an attack vector, 
right? Um, we talk about people using personal devices. Well, an IT manager or IT department, as they look at that, they have very little, if any, control over the devices. They don't know what it's been used for, what's on it, anything like that. How are they thinking about it? It doesn't mean they can't or shouldn't use it. It just means, are they thinking about that? Are they considering that as, you know, the answer to add more devices to, to fill some of these experiences are we thinking through all the different pieces so we're using them in the right way and still able at the end of the day to manage that network and keep it secure and and have the the fidelity and experience that they want to create for the customers so um, to to briefly you know look at it from a high level uneducated um uh, viewpoint are we are retailers actually concerned about somebody coming in with a phone and dealing with malware or something malicious, or is it just, we don't have any idea what these devices are even doing with, within our own individual ecosystem. Is that a big issue? So absolutely, you know, in terms of kind of getting uh, any kind of device on your network, that's always a concern. But I think the, the bigger concern of the bigger kind of adherence for any kind of uh, vertical, whether that's uh, retail, is the compliance and security aspect that goes into it. So, for instance, in retail, you need to be PCI DSS compliant, meaning that there's just a set rule of guidelines and, uh, and policies that you need to adhere to. And you need to do that uh, cross-platform, cross-operating systems. So I think uh, absolutely kind of adding devices to your network, that adds a... Uh, threat vector, as uh, Ryan pointed out, but it's also the ability to ensure that you are constantly compliant with the data and the uh, compliance regulations that is uh, forced on the different verticals, whether it's HIPAA and retail, whether it's uh, PCI and, uh, uh, in retail, oh, sorry, uh, PCI and retail or HIPAA in, in healthcare, etc. You also have, I, I think there's a fundamental as well. If we go back to the initial question, we, we started this, this discussion of we want to create experience, right? This experience economy. The reason people are adding devices in theory is because they want to create experiences. And so those devices have to be operational. They have to be running. That's why the device management becomes so critical because in, in many cases, they're trying to build an experience around utilizing these devices. Not the device isn't the experience, but using them provides the experience that consumers are wanting. And so you have to have them available. You have to be managing them. That's why I think as we talk, you know, talk from an imperial perspective, the, the device manageability across the board becomes critical because it's a function of delivering that experience for the consumer. So when, when we're hearing more and more about AR and VR experiences in these virtual worlds, um, in your world of IT and infrastructure and, 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 and from that top level CISO thinking, are, are you guys just going, oh, man, we've got a lot more things we need to tackle before we get into this, you know, before retail goes crazy, what do we need to, to, to tackle and set up before you guys push a button and deploy the world's greatest sales app? Well, I think from kind of an imperial perspective, if you will, uh, we are all about secure remote access, remote control. So for us, it's always about giving uh, and keeping up to breast with not only the security uh, and uh, compliance regulations, but more importantly, the devices that's being uh, and is needing to be devised, uh, the support. So when we're talking about the proliferation of more devices, as Brian was pointing out, it's really, are we able to maintain and support them? Are they part of the ecosystem that we are allowed and able to support? So it's keeping up to kind of up to rest in terms of not only the latest and greatest in terms of the individual releases for Windows, Mac, uh, iOS, but also any new devices that's been added, uh, for instance, within uh, I, uh, IoT 
or even within the meta uh, universes. Yeah, I mean, one of the things Intel loves is technology, right? And further it. And I hope there are things like um, uh, VR and things like that to improve the experience. It isn't really important the function that it serves. It's more to Toke's point that we can manage that device because if if I'm using that device to deliver anything, I better have an ability to manage the device to make sure that it's still working and operating. So you know, talking about devices, you know, the first thing people think oftentimes is their phone or their tablet being a thing, but Internet of Things is everything. Everything in our house is connected from our lights to our uh, Echo, our, our, hey, Google, do something. But we've also got bigger things like our Nest and HVAC systems. Brian, give me a, not a worst case scenario, but a list of things that people really need to think about when it comes to security and their Internet of Things. So, so it's a great question. Uh, we often think of, a, you know, a phone, a, a Nest, uh, some of those types of things. But uh, think of, an, for example, a retailer uh, in hospitality environment. Things like point of sales, digital signage. Uh, we see an explosion of, for example, self shelf checkout, uh, kiosks, right? All these different ways that we've started adding. Those are all great. And it goes back to this discussion of you bring more and more devices in. Um, how are you managing them? How are you making sure that they're segregated, um, that we don't have somebody getting into one system and accessing another system that they don't have? Um, what are the security permissions that you have on there? How have you sort of created created these walls, so to speak, from security perspective to ensure that only the people that should have access to certain things have access to it? And, and that, again, goes back to some of these fundamentals of the, the number of devices you add or the capabilities isn't what's important. It's that you've set up an infrastructure and you've thought through, how do I want my network to look and, and function to ensure that you're adding on, right? The fundamental of adding one more device is not the issue. It's how am I managing these devices and how am I making sure that I'm safe and secure within the IT network that I manage? So when you're talking about managed networks, there's this idea of a managed network versus secured cloud environments. That transition, what are those preferences and needs when it comes to managed networks versus a secure cloud environment, which sounds the best way to go. What's the best? Yeah, it's a great question. Again, I think over time we've sort of bifurcated this issue and said, hey, there's two separate options. You can have this managed service or you can have a cloud service. And the reality is what we're finding is it's probably rather than these sort of two sort of planets in their orbit, it's actually their points on the same continuum um, that you have a managed network or you could go and say, hey, I want, a, I want a very public cloud option. And what we're seeing more is people saying, well, actually, I like the cloud capabilities and some of the benefits of that, uh, but there's some drawbacks to the public cloud. So I want more of a private cloud option. And others even saying, I want a hybrid cloud option that has different functionality. And it goes to, again, what does my network look like as an IT manager? What do I want to do? How do I want to manage it? Um, we're seeing more and more devices placed in, you know, instead of always sitting inside, for example, a physical store, I'm, I'm now doing kiosk outside or around that I need access to. And so it's really about defining this topology of your network and understanding what does it look like and then determining kind of a cost benefit between is the managed, is some version of a cloud 
better than the other. And it's going to depend on each particular one. Brian, to that point, we are seeing a lot of kind of transition in terms of going from, uh, for instance, a, a traditional on-premise to cloud, but in a kind of a stepping stone. So kind of yeah. to your point with the private uh, private virtual crowds in terms of having the ability to kind of take the best of both worlds. So we are seeing a lot of customers preferring to have a cloud instance, but for instance, configure it with no internet access. So you get all the benefits of having cloud, but not necessarily having your devices touch the internet. So that, to your point, that kind of in between or even the hybrid options of having uh, uh, the multi-tenant versus the on-prem, having the best of both worlds with VPCs seems to be a, a bit trigger in a lot of verticals right now. Yep. Well, as, as you explain that, it, it, it does seem very kind of like, oh, wow, I never thought of it, but it seems very obvious where when you think managed devices, again, we kept saying, oh, it's your phone, it's your phone. But like you said, you've got kiosks, you've got everything and anything. Uh, and you mentioned hospitals and hospitality that it's really a computer you're interacting with and you may not even be interacting with that computer face to face on top of that. So that seems like a lot of entry points, a lot of e exit points for data and information and things that you really need to have a strong control over for both yourself and your customer, correct? No, but absolutely. And I think, you know, keeping in mind a lot of big enterprises environments, you have a lot of different uh, devices that is across the platform, different operating systems, and you have a lot of different people and personnel having to access and support those devices. And they all come with different credentials and uh, levels of authority. And that even gets a little more complex if you're thinking in and factoring in kind of third party vendors or external vendors who needs to be able to access the device. So there's a lot, uh, and, and Brian kind of touched on it earlier in terms of kind of locking down the access rights, the access roles, and making sure that it's only the right people who has access to the, the devices at a certain times. And there's a number of uh, factors and control, uh, controls that can be put in place so that you control and you secure the line, you manage the user access, you manage the user rights, and you document and do all the trails of anything that happens during any kind of remote control session or any remote access. You know, Toke, when you're talking about these these access points, um, a lot of people outside of IT are thinking, well, it's just you walk up to and touch it. And we know that cloud and managed devices is often done remotely, but it can go even further than a one-to-one -one, um, interaction. I explain how the access is granted and denied in the way that um, it really focuses on security. Yeah, no, great question, Bobby, because again, you know, device uh, access is to some extent, that's easy. It's really getting the secure access that is the, the culprit of everything that we discussed. So we kind of work with kind of four security controls that is kind of the blueprint of controlling that access rights. The first is securing the line, making sure that any connection that goes from A to B or from the client to the to the agent is fully encrypted end to end. And that's, you know, with 256-bit AES encryptions with dynamic key exchanges, for instance, using the development uh, method with key length up to, I think it's 2048 uh, bits. Um, so really making sure that the first step is any connection that is granted is secure and it's encrypted. The other uh, and second step would be managing the user access. So making sure that the, 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 in, the individuals who's accessing the device have the right access and the right permissions. And that ties into the right uh, opportunities in terms of managing the user rights. So ultimately we're talking about who can access what device, when can they access it? And once they have access, what are they allowed to do? So that boils down to saying, 
as an example, saying if I'm able to access, let's say, Brian's computer, at what time during uh, the day can I access it? Could be that it's set up saying I can access it only between uh, eight o'clock and five o'clock, Monday to Friday. Once I access it, what am I allowed to do? Do I have full access to the device or am I limited to certain applications because you can whitelist and you can blacklist so you can limit the access uh, roles and, and rights. And then you need to ensure dual factor authentication, something you know, something you have, and just ensure that once you authenticate that that's done securely. And then kind of the fourth and last step is that you want to have everything audited. You need to be able to go back, whether it's an internal employee, whether it's an external consultant, but you need to have an audit trail, both for compliance regulations and adhering to it, but also for your security uh, mandate and see who accessed the device, what took place, either as a text lock or a video. So you can really control finite uh, access right, access roles, and you need to do that on an individual level, or you need to be able to tie that into your director service at scale. And Brian, I know you've got some uh, some great insight into planning this and 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 the oversight and different touch points. How does how does somebody plan that ecosystem? Yeah, it's a great question, uh, and and Tok laid it out right. It, if we go back to the earlier in the conversation, we talked about this, the explosion of devices, right? These devices being added. And we talked about, or I made the comment of, it's about being intentional, right? It's not just throwing a new device in, it's thinking through all these things. What is my network going to look like? What type of connections am I going to have? It's to this point of who's going to have access? What are their rights? How do we define those? How do we make sure it's secure? Um, but then fundamentally it gets down to, you know, I, I love the thought of, the most of the time we should be maybe they it isn't always this case but devices are added because we think it's going to improve the experience it's going to increase sales it's going to deliver some revenue so to speak right that's where someone's going to check out that's going to entice them something of that need. we need them to be operational to perform their function right a non-operational device is really a useless device and so that's where this device management becomes so important of how are we going to manage this device? How are we going to ensure it's operational? How are we going to ensure it's got the right software on it to from a, a kind of software patches, security patches? Um, how are we making sure that uh, it's not being used incorrectly or things of that nature, right? And so there's there's software, for example, Imperial where Toke comes from, right? They do a lot of this device management. Now, one of the challenges we've seen, for example, with COVID, um, my team, uh, it was probably the busiest we've been because people all of a sudden became, we can't go into offices. We can't go into these places and we need to access it. I need to put security patches on. I need to make sure they're being fixed. Um, I, I've got OSs that have gone down. I need to bring them up. And that's where this Intel vPro and, and the Intel vPro platform with active management technology allows it sort of that additional capability on top of the in-band solutions like Impero has that gives you the device management gives you a lot of things, but in those moments of critical failures, it allows you to access um, those devices even remotely. So for example, if your operating system went down, um, I think we've all seen this. Um, if you've, although maybe in the last few years, we haven't traveled at an airport, but if you go to an airport and you see one of those things that lists all the flights coming in and you'll always see one that has an error, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> You know, and that's something where there's been an operating system failure. Usually it requires some technicians to go through, drive out there, climb on ladders and restart the machine. Devices that are running those signs that have Intel vPro uh, built on the Intel vPro platform with AMT, they can actually remotely restart that machine and get it back up and running without ever having to travel there physically. 
um, which is a huge benefit, particularly we start going to this, these, these networks are becoming more and more distributed, right? In other words, devices are placed in all different places to be able to manage that from one location or multiple locations if you choose, but not having to have a truck sitting at each one. You know, that's probably one of the biggest changes we've seen over the past, you know, 10 years or so. And maybe even COVID has really kind of accelerated some of this is the number of devices that no longer have a person standing there, right? The, these are unattended devices, but those devices more than any seem to need more management, right? Because no one's seeing it. No one knows when that goes down. So having that ability to monitor, to manage, again, with all those safeguards and, and fundamentals that to talked about, about security and access rights, uh, you don't want to give anybody the access to, to get in and get into the BIOS. We want it to be a secure connection with only those that have the right access point. Um, and so, util but utilizing those things really delivers a benefit and value in terms of uh, total cost of ownership, reducing the time those devices are down, reducing the amount of cost of bringing labor traveling out to to get to devices to fix them and just uh, you know sometimes it's the plain presence when you go in and see a bunch of devices not working you scratch your head and say why don't they get something that works uh, <laughs> so just some sometimes it's that that kind of value brand value that it can create for having these devices operation i want to circle back to the remote working aspect of all this as COVID has proven to be the great bench test for so many of these ideas and technologies that we're talking about. But if you've worked overseas or you've worked in offshoring or outsourcing, working across time zones and working across borders is not very unique. I mean, your IT guy can be in Seattle and you can be in Hong Kong going, oh man, something's not working right. We need to fix it. How does remote working and the technology play into what we're talking about today? I think it's fair to say that secure remote control quickly became the center of anything that had to do with operational ex uh, excellence. You had to have fast, you had to have efficient ways and means of getting, uh, you know, to a end device or used in terms of remote support. Putting the man in the van, to Brian's uh, example, was no longer a, an opportunity. So, you know, with all kind of the uh, immediate needs for having uh, access to all of these devices, where there was a uh, personal devices, company issued devices that became kind of at the start of the pandemic, a very, very, uh, you know, uh, discussed topic, because again, to the former discussion, how do you do that at scale? And how do you do it securely? And how do you ensure who has access to the devices that they should be able to access? And what are they allowed to do? How do we control kind of the, the, the retrospectives in terms of what was done? So there was a lot of talks and a lot of kind of merits in terms of, you know, how do how is this done best? How is it done securely? And how is it done at scale? But there was also a big aspect in terms of just the time zones and being able to be efficient, even if there was a device that was not uh, uh, physically manned. And there's a lot of functionality that goes into kind of the what we call uh, uh, confirm access. So if I'm looking to access a device, it can be set up with a secure control where someone needs to allow me into the device before you go in and take control of it. But it could also be set up to saying, hey, if nobody's on the device, you can still access it with the right authentication and credentials. And that allows you to do what we term remote management, ultimately working under the hood. So it could be that someone is still working on a device, but you can work under the hood in terms of doing patches or pulling inventory or, or fixing uh, uh, errors. Or it could be in a, a situation where you just need to get in there and fix it so once the employees back at work in their time zone, 
the problem that was identified and flagged has already been solved. So I think it boils down to kind of what we discussed about having at scale secure access that is easy to maintain that ties into the authentication and directory service in terms of access rights and access roles. Um, how can you allow it securely and insecure, uh, in, uh, securely? Um, and then how do you do it, uh, whether the device is manned or unmanned? Yeah, and Tok, when you talk, when you're talking about that, it reminded me of a story. Uh, I've got a friend of mine who he um, he's part owner of of a, a series of franchise of of small hardware stores, and they're in multiple states. And and towards the start of COVID, we were just chatting, and he said that uh, he had bought some new point of sale units for one of his stores in one of the different states, and his IT person had set it up. Um, who's located kind of centrally with him um, and shipped it off to that new store. Well, it turns out that he didn't set up one of the devices correctly. He had done, I forget what he had done, but he had set something wrong. And they looked at it and realized for him, because of their company policies and COVID, for him to go to the other state, he had to go to the other state, sit there for five days in a quarantine, seven days, whatever it was. Then he could go fix the machine. Then he could come back, but then he had to stick another five to seven days at home, quarantined. And he kind of looks and says, gosh, for one point of sale unit, I don't want to spend this three weeks of this guy's time to be able to do it. It, it just so happens in this case that it was a, a, a VPro-based machine. And so this IT person was able to just simply from his from his house, because that's where they were all working, log in, you know, have the, the other the other location essentially plugged the machine in. He was able to connect to it, make the changes he needed to in the BIOS and got the machine up and running and good to go, right? And, and that's the benefit of some of these secure mm-hmm. remote connections is being able to address and resolve these issues and get them up and running and, and having the devices function. It goes back to that. The reason people buy these devices is to deliver an experience. And if they're not doing it, they're not delivering their value and, and we want them to. Well, Brian, that seems like the best place to wrap it up. Thank you so much for being with us today, everyone. Our guests today were Brian Tusher, the Director of Consumer Customer Enablement at Intel, and Tok Tonker, the Chief Revenue Officer at Imperial Software. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to the Intel Internet of Things group. I'm your host, Bobby Brill. And as we wrap up, uh, what's going to be the best way for people to contact you, gentlemen? Uh, Tok at Imperial Software, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Well, imperialsoftware.com, there's a contact us form. Uh, it can be directed directly to me or it uh, could go to any of my colleagues. So go to our website, uh, uh, imperialsoftware.com. That's great. Excellent. And Brian, what is the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, probably the best way is my email. The Intel's too big for just me. Uh, brian.k.tusher at intel.com and the link should be below in this with, with the podcast. Fabulous gentlemen, thank you so very much. And I want to thank our audience for tuning in to The Edge and Beyond, the series that makes sense of use cases across industries brought to you by the Intel IoT Group. And don't forget to subscribe to hear more from the Intel Internet of Things Group. I'm Bobby Brill. Thank you for listening. Thank you.